0: to justice. I'm your host, Heather Ballerich of Merrick Law. Uh, My co-host today is Evan Clark of Kahane Law. Hey, Evan, how are you doing?
1: I'm great, Heather, how are you?
0: I'm well, you know, I'm cleaning out the cobwebs a little bit. We're just coming off of Christmas break as we record this. So kind of getting back into uh how does my
1: mouse work? What are my
0: passwords? <laughs> Those kinds always, of
1: things. <laughs> that's always the thing I forget. How does my mouse work? I just look at it for about five minutes. I'm like, what are you doing? I remember, I don't know if you've seen Star Trek four, but there's yeah. this, there's this time where Scotty is trying to, um, give these people the formula for transparent aluminum. And uh, he's not sure how to do it because, you know, he's used to just talking to the computer. And so the guy points at the mouse and he says, oh, and then he picks it up like this and he's like, computer. (laughs) Hello, computer. And then... uh, And then, you know, he says, a keyboard, how quaint. Cracks his knuckles and convinces to type at 5 billion words per minute. Because obviously if you're from the future and don't use keyboards anymore, you would be so good at them. You'd be very proficient at typing. Yeah, of course. (laughs) One of the best um, Star Trek movies, even if you're not a Star Trek fan, because, Mm -hmm. you know, they go back in time and they're in San Francisco in 1984 or something like that, or 1986.
0: Mm, recipe a
1: good, for recipe for laughs.
0: Little vintage snapshot there, hey? Cool. Yeah.
1: Um, well, we're also now, joined. Oh, sorry. Sorry, ahead. you also mentioned passwords, and I used a password. I don't even want to talk about it, but I but I will. I used a password manager. I got hacked.
0: Mm, I'm not aware of who you're talking about. It was in the news a little bit. Yeah.
1: Not the most straightforward with people as to what was taken. Mm. And um, yeah, then we're accessed again and things got worse. And so I'm like, I'm out of here. And I switched. Hmm. So um, I did actually have to like, make new password and move passwords over. It's not the same as forgetting your passwords, but kind of. Probably just about as much fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, we're also joined today by our very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory, Kim's financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. Kim, how are you doing? Were you able to type quickly and or execute functions with your mouse today?
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing about the password thing because I'm, I'm like everybody else. I have a secret spot where I've got mine. And I just quickly look to see how many usernames and passwords I have for, for our industry of investments and assur- insurance. I have 156 usernames and passwords that I have to track, but, that that okay. I use fairly frequently. So um, I understand why Evan would use a program to help him with that. We don't have a program at our firm. <laughs> I
1: and mean, You're not, and you're not allowed to just use one because it would be a best practice.
2: Right. And, not not
1: and right. I don't even know what I rock let you
2: No. Well, I think there are some firms who have some programs that they employ uh, that they use. Um, but I know we get 85 million hacks a year. So whoever we choose needs to be, um, you know, Hack, and so, yeah. and good yeah. luck. Yeah. 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 Luck. And
1: so, and how often do you have to change those passwords? I mean, maybe we don't want to talk too much about that because then, you know, the, you, you've got the hacker just waiting, like, oh, perfect. They're
2: all different. They're all different. Yeah. Some it's all the time and some it's not that often. What a
1: pain. What a royal pain. <sighs>
2: So I, yeah, I just, I think it's all funny like this, uh, the future, we'll see what it holds for usernames and passwords, but I look forward to a better scenario in the future where we don't have these silly things. It's just scan our eyeballs and we're into everything, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm chit-chatting too much and, and I'm excited about our guests. So <laughs> I'll just zip up. Oh my
0: goodness, so am I. And I think that probably some of actually what we've chatted about here will dovetail nicely with what our guest is going to talk about, I hope. So I'm very pleased to welcome Laura Tamblin Watts to the episode today. Hi, Laura, how are you? Hi, well, I
3: can't even tell you the stress that passwords give me. So I'm right there with you.
0: Laura uh, Tablin-Watts is the founder and CEO of CanAge, um, which is Canada's national seniors advocacy organization. Laura is a very passionate advocate on a variety of issues affecting older Canadians and including long-term care and home care, financial security, elder abuse, health care, ageism, and inclusion of marginalized communities. So um, I think these are all topics that fascinate all three of us. So I'm so excited to have you here and to um, uh, talk with you about some of these topics. So welcome to Access to Justice. Uh, I'm
3: excited to be here. And these issues that we're talking about, whether it be computer literacy or just kind of forgetting how things work of course are one of the issues that we think about when we're thinking about our aging population but it's good to remember it's not just people at a
0: certain age it's really all of us that have some of these challenges yeah absolutely hey technology is changing so quickly and hackers and scammers are changing just as quickly as technology does so so absolutely it's not just limited to older folks is it
3: Well, we think about the capital markets that Kim and all of you are so um, passionate about, but we also think about the black capital markets. And I mean sort of black markets, but in a, in a really big and sophisticated way, because when we're thinking about scam artists and Evan, my fingers are crossed that you don't have any breaches that these are going to touch. But when you think about scam artists and fraud artists, they are of course in the ultimate capital market. If it doesn't work, they go out of business. So they're always shifting, always changing. And in the same way that many professionals, sales, folks will refer or even give a referral fee uh, to take care of clients in a particular way. That same thing happens, of course, in this black capital market where your information is being sold and resold at quite a, a really terrifying rate, and particularly with vulnerable people, people with mental capacity issues, in some cases, older people, which are not all the same thing, but do fall within this sort of target rich environment that information gets sold on and on again. So if you get a phone call and they hook you, or whether you get a phishing scam and they hook you, those hooked ones are, go between 5 and $10 for a referral. And that's a very expensive referral, as anyone will tell you for customer acquisition. And so it's, it's in many ways even more sharp than we're seeing in our usual business practices and so if you pick up the phone and you get you know someone trying to clean your air ducts or you know doing fake hvac or wanting to do construction and you get hooked that information your age where you live aspects of your speech, whatever information they have on your, uh, the numbers associated with you, whether they be passwords or Visa cards or other credit cards, MasterCards, or whether it be information about your address or your age, all of that is being constantly resold. And so we can't lean back on our heels. It constantly has to be updated.
2: Wow is that the same thing as as gleaning information from seniors on Facebook via those Uh, uh, I think they're like cute little questions
3: that that Uh, if I could just sort of yell into Facebook, don't answer these. I, I would, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your pet's first name? What's the street that you grew up on? These should all sound very familiar to you. They're cute little games that people play and post on Facebook. They are entirely based at guessing your passwords. Those are all those security questions. And that's important because there's two pieces of that. One, they're your passwords. So I might put my cat's name or my dog's name in as as my actual password, although not if I was clever. But there you go. We all do these types of things. Yeah. Or alternatively, those are the security reset questions. What's your mother's maiden name? What's the street you grew up on? So those types of security questions. So no, that's an entirely different version. And just to make you even more uncomfortable, it's not individuals there. Those are giant scraping programs that go through social media and capture those in a blink of an eye.
0: Right. Right. So you're just up against the machine in that case. It's not just you. <laughs> it, it, it's worse than you, David, against Goliath. It's the It's the worse thought. than you
3: expect is actually kind of what we should be talking about. But of course, what's important is we don't just want people to say, you know, th- this is so difficult, we shouldn't do any of it. Because At the same time, we're encouraging people to take control of your finances, access your information online. If you lose your um, pass card or credit card or something else, you should be able to put a pause on it electronically until you find it again. All of these great ways of interacting with your financial and increasingly legal world are good as well. So it's neither a sword nor a shield, Mm -hmm. but there are these forces out there and it's no longer the kind of the waiter or waitress at the restaurant trying to take your credit card anymore. It's far more robust. The good news is we have protections as well and they're getting better and better as well, but hmm. it just means that we cannot just turn away and pretend that it's not happening. We actually have to police it ourselves.
0: Hmm. Um, Well, I, I don't, Evan, Kim, please jump in, but I'm kind of thinking I have like two questions that are like two different paths. Maybe you tell me where we start. One of the questions is what kind of, what are the most common types of sort of scams or areas of vulnerability out there? And then number two is how do folks protect themselves against those scams? So I don't know if that's a good place to start. Well,
3: everyone here has probably won a lottery from a country you've never visited. I myself have been the recipient of many lotteries for countries I have never been to. Um, I remember finally arriving in Ireland as an example, thinking, well, maybe because I've won, apparently, the Irish lottery at least 20 or 30 times. I thought, well, now I've at least been to Ireland. But they work. So that is one. You've won a lottery All you have to do is send some money. That's got all kinds of different versions of it. And it is, you know, win prize, send money. So it could be a cruise. It could be, you know, who knows what, a 50-50 in your local neighborhood that your friend put apparently your name in for anything that requires you to send some money. What's important is it's really often not the money that matters here because it may not be a lot of money at the beginning. It's actually to hook you. And then again, you become more valuable and that information can be sent on. So that's one version increasingly. And also with older people, romance scams are becoming really, really big. And so that means, you know, folks um, as so many else are, are meeting on the internet. That's a kind of an ordinary thing to do these days. I think it's probably the most ordinary thing to do, but again, designed to hook you. And then what you'll see is you'll start this relationship. And once this relationship starts, someone's going to need a bit of money. Maybe they need travel. They've had some type of emergent situation that they need a little bit of help for and that hooks. And then after that, the, the claws are in and then they kind of get you and that actually can bloom into some in-person stuff as well. So that's, what's important to know is a lot of this stuff is happening in a boiler room somewhere as we call them. And lots of people on computers that can go up and disappear in a few minutes, speaking of movies, but they also have links to local, And so sometimes if you're not paying up, it'll actually end up people knocking on your door. So again, those threads and threats are more diverse than you think. So that's the romance scam. One that everyone's heard about, I think at this point, but again, remains one of the top winners is what we call the grandparent scam. And this is quite sophisticated. It works really well. Usually somebody answers the phone, they're on the phone, they're talking and they say, hey, grandma or hey, grandpa, that they wait to hear you say something first. So they can try to figure out what it is. And then they say it's, and it's a bit muffled. You're thinking, who is it? But you've said grandma or grandpa. So they will say, oh, is it you, Alex? Or is it you, Chris? And the, yes, yes, it's Chris. They'll grab onto that name. So you know what to do to protect yourself from that? Uh, You know, don't supply the information. Don't fill in the blanks. And that's true for every them. And then what they do is they have somebody else who's there. Something bad has happened typically across the border, whatever border that is. And they don't want you to call mom or don't call dad. And they need you to send some money. So they hand the phone over. It's a police officer, it's a lawyer, it's a doctor, it's a hospital administrator. And then they start, they need to Western Union, something usually using wire transfers. That's number two. If it's a wire transfer, it's probably a scam because once money hits the wires, it's almost impossible to get back particularly if it's cross border So number two, sending money by wire transfer, 99% chance it's going to be a scam. And that one, of course, they'll keep coming back. Now they have more financial needs and more concerns. That was one consistently one of the top scams. Then we get into some of the other ones. Um, You know, if it's more in person, there's lots of construction ones. Lots of us need our houses fixed, our roof fixed, our gardens sorted out, something to do with the driveway. And particularly older people often may not be able to see that the roof, you know, isn't in the condition that they say it is and so on. So they'll have a van, they'll have a card, they may have a website. Probably references, it can all look very good. And what they do is they need money and then they want money in cash. And well, you know, it's a cash economy. So they coach you for what to say at your financial institution as you take out 10, 20, $30,000 in cash. And again, the cash with the gym bag kind of style and they do it and they will bring things. Typically they'll bring lumber, they'll bring cement, they'll bring whatever it is and they'll tear up whatever it is. And they'll keep doing this. They need more and more money. And at a certain point, then they just disappear. But those actually are very effective. And I would say one of the biggest trends, so kind of number five, one of the biggest trends would be you know, using text messages and many of us will really use text messages to communicate with our intimates, our family, our closest friends, right? It doesn't tend to be a a place like email. We've gotten used to the fact that email is going to have a Nigerian prince attached to it, or there's going to be something urgent or, you know, hello, all you need to do is send me some money and this great thing is going to happen to you, but text messages feel closer, So many, many older people are now getting scammed through text messages. And that, uh, once you click that link, particularly it looks like a utility. Typically, you're going to see some type of utility bill or government scam. And boy, during COVID-19, did we see a lot of that. Now, what can you do to protect yourself? Well, I'm not going to tell you, as we call it at can age to eat right and exercise. Because, you know, <laughs> lots of us know the things that you're supposed to do. And we started off this conversation with the fact that without more than 150 things, how are you supposed to manage? And then Evan was using a program. That's a good idea. It is a good idea. But even that got cracked. Mind you, it is still a good idea. So I think it's important to remember that we're all human. And probably every single one of us has gotten scammed by something. It's just they only exist because they work. The ultimate capital market. If it didn't exist, it wouldn't be there.
1: Yeah. So that's
0: I, an excellent point.
1: I got a couple of comments. Number one, one of the things that I'm not too worried about, even though the database is potentially compromised, that I had all my passwords, is for my important accounts. I use two-factor authentication. Yeah. yeah. So. They can't actually enter without the code in whatever way it's done, whether it's through a third-party, uh, like I use Google and Microsoft, both have authentication apps or by text message, which by the way, they've got ways to scam you and forgetting that text message or authenticator code as well. The key is don't ever tell anybody what it is. But, um, the, uh, so, so it's so, okay. Number two, I changed the passwords for my sensitive account. So my bank accounts and stuff like that, my email account, right away, I change those. So even if they crack yeah. uh, the data they have, which is not a given anyways, but even if they do, the passwords will be out of date, and so they won't be able to access those, even though there's also two-factor authentication. And another thing, I would, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm still a believer of using a program. That's why I just switched to a different program, which by the way, I like better anyways. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is yes, I've definitely, I got fished before. Um, and I do because I have cyber insurance for my practice, they make you do a bunch of stuff, including take some courses and stuff like that, as well as enable two-factor authentication and everything. Um, and so even after doing the course, we're like, so you can really, you really know what phishing is and how it works. I still got fished. The benefit was I knew immediately after I sent the information that I had been fished, And so I immediately was able to change the password and my account wasn't compromised. And it was just a simple Facebook one. So, um, you know, my uncle posted something and I clicked on it to see what it was. And then it was like, you've got to log in. So I logged in and I, then I was like, no, I'm already logged into my phone. They just, I just got fished." And so then I just changed the password and, and everything's fine. But If I hadn't have caught that, then, you know, we've all met someone or had a friend who's uh, all of a sudden sent us weird messages on Facebook.
3: Absolutely. I mean, there's no question. And that's part of the reality of life. I think for people to understand that when we're thinking about using common information, there's both the preventive pieces. Let's make sure that we're making things kind of easy as possible. Um, And then there's the proactive pieces. What do you do afterwards and how do you reset? And one of the organizations that I really love is a not-for-profit called the Glue Society, G-L-U-U, the Glue Society. And it is a not-for-profit, in British Columbia, but they work across Canada as well, which does computer literacy for free, particularly for older people. And it is terrific. And Mm. you can take online courses and you can do top tips of the day that they send out to you. And they'll talk and think about two-factor identification. What is it? How do you do it? Well, the glue society goes through all of it and
0: breaks it out. I'm a huge fan of the work that they do. That's a great suggestion. You know, I my father-in-law, uh, I'll I'll call I'll point him out. I'm sure he wouldn't. He doesn't mind. He is terrified of computers. Very deeply suspicious of them. Um, but part of that is he thinks if he doesn't learn how to use them and just uses you know banks and checkbooks that he can't get scammed but i don't think that's true and in some ways i think doing your things online and being able to check it online easily and regularly could prevent some of that stuff so it's wonderful to know that there is a resource like that out there for um, people to get a little more comfortable with technology um but know what's safe I and I think that's so idea. much of what it is. We we have a very, very high usage of
3: technology for older people. So in Canada, about 87% of people over the age of 75 use the internet at least once a day. And typically the average older person in Canada has five connected devices to the internet. Hmm. And so there is an extremely high literacy rate but it doesn't necessarily mean that we all learn in the same way and that is just true so if you have digital natives you know, you'll know what those three little things look like on the top of the screen that you might say is a hamburger. It Doesn't look anything like. Someone told me it looks like a hamburger. I thought, okay, there are three slashes in a row. How is that a hamburger? I mean, it looks like three slashes in a row. I mean, if you told me that's what it was? I would look for it, and I am not that old. And so, if you are trying to use terminology like that, it's not very helpful for people who, you know, by their wildest dreams wouldn't imagine that that would be a hamburger. So that's why some of while well, the digital literacy is there, sometimes there's not that confidence and and the building of the confidence is what's important. Heather, just as I'm saying, you know, that concern about it as an area of exposure is actually not as big a deal. As long as they know what to do. So it's the addressing what do you know what to do? You don't want to get yourself in more trouble. Well, wow, there's ways of dealing with that. But just to put up on your point, frauds and scams, of course, do not orient themselves just with cell phones and just with computers. The good old telephone is one of the best ones we ever have. And for that matter, people knock on your door just as much, um, although a little bit less these days, but but it is it is in existence. The last one is, you know, the one of the oldest tricks in the book, which is sort of a confidence scam, and we see that fraudsters will often penetrate really protected zones, whether it be faith communities or cultural communities, ethnocultural communities where languages um, are spoken that aren't English or French and build up confidence within them and then literally go ripping through those communities. So if you don't have your technology or you're not on the internet, you may be missing many tools to either be aware of it on the preventive side or to do something about it on the proactive side at the
0: other end. Man, this stuff just makes me mad. I get so mad thinking about people sitting in the now I know the term the boiler room thinking up these things and just working scams and taking advantage of vulnerable people. It just, yeah, geez. <laughs> the points of big change
3: or confusion are are really at the center sometimes of these issues. And so just to give you an extent, cast your mind back to the early days of COVID. So think about March and April of 2020, if you can, mm-hmm. uh, if you're willing to do that. <laughs> we knew that it was going to be such a huge issue when they brought in things like CERB or other government benefits. And the one of the very first things we ever produced at CanAge was how to spot frauds and scams about COVID-19. Well, we had people who were trying to sell snake oil. The snake oil salesman, that's a thats a long tradition, whether it be a carnival or whether it be a, a showing up on your cell phone as a link. Um, but we also had huge, huge misinformation around things like CERB and other types of benefits. And because there was changing on a regular basis, I cannot tell you the number of people would click that. And again, it could just look like a perfectly valid thing. It doesn't have crazy numbers and letters It doesn't have somebody's Hotmail account. You know, it actually looks like a legitimate thing. But once you click it and you start to put your information in, particularly we saw ones that said, you know, you can do it online. We're moving everything to a mobile app. And then of course, what they want more of anything is your SIN number. Anyway, hugely about a, we saw about a 2000% increase in the first three months. Wow. People got a little bit, better at it once they knew but because of course many things were moving to mobile or electronic and on a very quick basis those giant spikes were uh, on the front end so people have learned but it once once they've got information like your
0: sin number it's not like you can change that That's interesting too, because there's I know that there was like a degree of suspicion then when like traveling, for example, came later, and they were like, "Oh, get this app to authenticate that you've been vaccinated." And then I know people were were fearful or concerned about that. that are like, "Well, is that legitimate? Should I be downloading that?" <laughs> so it's hard because we all want to leverage these things. We want to use them to make our lives easier. The government wants us to trust in these tools, but then they're exploited by. Um, um, by ne'er do wells. Is that <laughs> a few things that you
3: can do right off the bat, but I can say like, here are five things to look for. Awesome. That, okay. That will, will always be a fraud. Okay. It's number one, if they want you to pay for something on any type of a gift card, and and you think to yourself, how is this possible? How is it that people think that they can pay the Canadian Revenue Agency with Apple Cards? But look, people have a wide variety of digital literacy. They may be more afraid of the governments. They they may come from countries where um, you know exploitation is something that happens in the government more than than you might wish it to. In in for instance, in Canada, there's all kinds of reasons. But if they want a gift card, it's a fraud. Hang up. Okay. Right. If, if you're talking on the phone or communicating any other way electronically and they want to get all your security questions, if they're asking for your security questions, mm-hmm. it's a fraud. The very point of having security questions, what's your mother's middle name? But hopefully they're not using that one anymore. But the point of asking the security questions is so that they can reset things. Okay. So if anyone's asking you for your security questions... Or asking you random things about your pet, so much streets that you live to live on, and your favorite color—that's a fraud. Hang up. If you see someone who is asking you know, for you to send them money in order to get something, that's a fraud. Really, there's almost nothing in this world where you need to do that except paying your taxes. I'll get to that one later. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have to send money in order to get something, that's a fraud. The only time where that may actually be a real thing that I've ever found is when you may need to pay some customs or immigration, uh, sorry, customs or um, taxes for something, a package, for instance, coming into the country. But that's a well-known fraud too. So if you really have to do that, you know, call the originator, whether it's FedEx or UPX or Canada Post, don't click anything and go through the actual web listed telephone number that you'll see. Like, cause occasionally they will actually need you to pay for customs or any of those types of uh, tariffs. But mm-hmm. again, don't click the link, call the number. Another reason, you know, if it's a fraud, this one, you would have taken Evan in your course, hover your if it's online, hover over the actual email address that it came, and they can look very, very good. But even if it appears to be something like such and such at this bank.com or UPS or your you know utility bill or whatever it is, if you hover over it, that cover link will disappear and you will see the real, the real number. And it's going to be like Bob27 at hotmail.com or something like that. So you click hover to reveal the re address, and that's a good thing get good at spotting those although it's not perfect and the last one is it's the easy one if it looks too good it's too good mm-hmm. and and that's hard because we all want to live in expectations of hope but if something sounds like too good an offer yeah it's going to be too good an offer and that's because they're out to scam you
2: so, what's the effect on seniors when they get scammed?
3: There's a study. It's a bit of an older study. I think it underestimates it. That found that an older person who's scammed out of twenty thousand dollars or more in Canada uh, loses up to eighteen months off their life. In many cases, it really is a matter of life and death. If if you have a significant loss of funds, and remember. You're at the older end of your earning years. You may only be deaccumulating. You may be getting passive income, possibly, but you know, likely you're living on a very fixed income unless you're extraordinarily lucky or have done a fabulous financial plan with folks here. Um, and so, being able to recover from that loss, which is already, you know usually had taxes taken off of it at one way or the other is hugely impactful. So if you lose, say, $20,000 and you're 25, you're probably going to have the chance to make that money up. If you lose $20,000 and you're 85, you certainly are not going to be able to do that very easily. So it also means a giant change, usually in your housing, your ability to stay where you are, it can have a difference between making choices of getting heat or eating, um, changing people's prescriptions, and all of that is functional. What I think is important to know is it also has a huge aspect of fear and It can really make you not feel comfortable making other decisions. And so we see many people, if they don't have that really resilient bravado kind of associated with them, getting more and more scared, pulling back and pulling back and getting more socially isolated. So it has not only a financial impact, but it also can have a lifeline impact in terms of what you'd spend your money for. And then lastly, it has a huge psychological impact on people.
2: i'm just full of good news today right but i think you're bang on my grandma had her vacuum taken so a repair man came to the door and told her he'd fix her vacuum and he took it and it was a great vacuum and i was in the grand scheme of things it's not a big deal but she never ever got over it um and i think that was such a little thing what, what's happening to the people who are getting, I mean, there must be so much shame for getting taken advantage of. And uh, I think, yeah, it sounds like the glue society can maybe help out with training seniors so they don't uh, get put in that position.
3: It's so important to also remember the fear that's behind that. So shame and stigma are the biggest reasons why people don't report. The second reason people don't report is, it actually in many cases nobody cares and that's a terrible thing to say but no one cares about your grandma's vacuum not really we're going to do report it to the police i mean okay they will give you a a number and you may be able to claim it on your insurance but that's it so there's really almost like no one to call if you do call the canadian anti fraud center which is staff nowhere near to what it needs to be staffed. And they're very nice people. You're probably going to get a phone number to leave a message on, or you may be able to give that information online, but they're not, they can't help you get any money back. They can't help you. What you're asking you to do is record it because they keep statistics and tracks about which kinds of frauds come. As I say, they're very good. They're part of, you know, our RCMP, but they're not going to really help you either. And then the third reason is the biggest one fundamentally The concern is for the 85 year old, not the 25 year old, that if you get defrauded or scammed, people are going to start thinking you've lost mental capacity. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens. Ironically, people say, well, you know, why wouldn't you do it? And I think the reason why they don't want is they don't want anyone to know, not just because they feel embarrassed about it, although that is typically very true, but they don't want the kids or the grandkids to start thinking, you know, grandma, grandpa have lost it. And that would then lead to perhaps to questions about their other decision making abilities and their abilities to make their own decisions in terms of their finances in particular.
0: Mm, Yeah. yeah. But it's
3: super ageist. I mean, I got caught in a fraud. I I teach frauds and scams and I happened to click something. It was sort of three click throughs. It It was innocent. And I noted it too, Evan and I stopped it and I did the reset, but it didn't pierce the heart of me. I thought to myself, ah, heck yeah, they got me. And I took the steps that I needed to do to take it. And it wasn't that big a deal. A friend of mine's sister who, you know, is just 60 years old. She's not, she's not an older person. Um, you know was caught on one of these phishing scams and was providing blithely or sin number and everything else, and you know she ended up having to do credit monitoring, of course, we have two credit monitoring systems that costs money every single month to monitor your credit scores and quite quickly, people were saying, "Well, you know the cost to monitor your credit versus the cost of how much money was taken from you that risk is kind of offsetting because it is very expensive to do that so it really does mean that we have to watch for these things we have to learn about these things and then you know we have to make sure that we're proactive i i encourage people to think about it as traffic think about walking as a pedestrian in traffic could you get killed crossing the street yeah most people don't though i mean you know, every once in a while, there's a terrible, tragic accident. Some people will get bumped. Someone will bump you. It's probably not the end of the world. You're not mm-hmm. going to be damaged too much. But it doesn't mean that you don't walk outside and never cross the street. It means you look both ways. You're able to identify when there are dangers present. You don't just rely on the little person saying, yeah, feel free to cross. If you've got a truck coming your way, you should be using your common sense and reading
0: the room or in this case, reading the road. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Get out there. Live your life. (laughs) Leave the house. (laughs) Just be beware and take some safety precautions. Yeah. And in fact, leaving the house and being online
3: and being engaged is is in many ways the best thing you can possibly do. It's just, again, learning to make sure that we don't make every kind of password our cat's first name. Um, We don't put all of your information about our security questions up on Facebook because it looks like a cute and fun thing to do. Um, And we make sure that when we're thinking about phone calls, that we're doing so with a skeptical ear these days. And we don't. Fill in information. I got a call the other day from the CRA and I looked at it and I thought it said from Sudbury. And I thought, okay, well, where's the CRA located? I don't think it's in Sudbury. Maybe it's work from home. Like you're starting to have these questions to yourself. And it was, you know, Bob from the CRA. And I just hung up and I thought, Mm -hmm. I don't think Bob's actually calling me from the Canadian Revenue Agency, but in case there's something wrong, I know how to go find the CRA and I will call them proactively. Mm-hmm. and that's fine. As it turns out, Bob was just calling, I think, from his boiler room in his house trying to get my tax information. But if someone calls you, you can say thanks very much. I don't do things, you know, on the phone. Uh feel free to send me a letter or, you know, th- feel free to send me information. I don't do donations at the door either. Um I'll say thank you very much. I really appreciate what you're doing. You know, I, I do things myself and I appreciate that. Close the door. A lot of holiday scams on that. And it's hard because you're competing with real charities who are doing it. But I say, you know, I do make my charitable donations, but I'll do that directly. Thank you mm. for walking, walking the streets thinking, I don't know if you're trying to scam me or if you're really raising money, but in any case, I can take control by doing it myself.
0: Mm, I think those are really helpful tips, Laura. They're like little scripts to know or to practice or have in your pocket in advance. Because I think most of us have a hard time saying no, thank you, particularly to a human on the phone, even harder to <laughs> someone who's showing up at your door. So I I think those are really good suggestions. My yes, husband's I is. I excited. have two and I love them. Thanks. Or I already donated. I donated to that charity yesterday. I <laughs> mean, that's his script. <laughs> and little stickers by the phone that said
3: it's okay to hang up mm. or just hang up. Like yeah. And so you don't have to be rude to anyone. I no. mean to Bob on the CRA. I literally just clicked. Like that was the end of it. And so sometimes if you engage, remember they hook you. They're good at hooking you. Um, one of the other things I make a suggestion is, you know, don't necessarily answer with the words, you know, yes, because sometimes people are recording your voice and, and when you can do those voice prompts, they'll say things like yes and no. So if you answer the phone, yes, they could be recording you doing that. And if they get into that phone tree information and do it, um, I usually say, you know, hi, it's Laura speaking, but if it's a number, I don't know. I'll usually just say hello or I'll wait for them to say something. You may hear, a little bit of a pause, and that will be a phone tree. Now that could be legitimately coming from a company that's doing calls, but we've all heard that, right? When you pick up the phone and there's this long period of time and there's this little click and stuff, you could be absolutely sure that that's at best customer service for something and at worst a scam.
1: Mm. Mm. Those are
0: all good tips.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, do you really want to talk to customer service? No. So just hang on.
0: If they're calling you, no, yeah, <laughs> probably right. not. And, and like,
1: um, my wife kind of, we approach these very differently. Um, like I'm, I'm annoyed when I get a phone call and it's some useless call, like tell us calling because like, Hey, do you want, you should, it's like an upsell call. Cause I don't, I use them for some one service, but I don't want them for any other service. Like, Hey, we got cell phones. I'm like, I don't want to talk about this right now. I'm not interested Bye. you know, and it's a little rude, but like it's also rude for them to interrupt the middle of my day. So, um, I, am fine with just being abrupt. Like, let's get straight to the point. I don't want to waste your time. You're not going to waste my time anymore. I'm not interested. Goodbye. And I hang up.
3: And what's important there as well is in many cases, you can make sure that you are asked to be struck off their call list. And many people don't realize that because you think you you know, you've clicked something that says they could be reached out to you. And we all do that. It's often in your terms and conditions or something that you can click to say that they're allowed to reach out to you. And and so when I get those calls, I'll say things like, uh, can you just please make sure that you remove me from your call database? I'll wait here till you confirm that you've done it. Thank you very much. You've confirmed that you've done it. They're always really surprised because most people don't know that you can ask to be (laughs) unsubscribed to the phone as well as you can be unsubscribed to email that's one thing many of you will know about the no call list. that's a funny kind of one. so the reason why I say it's funny is it doesn't apply to not for profits and charities and I run a not for profit by joy, I don't call anybody but you know anyway <laughs> um, but of course, it also doesn't apply to scammers. so I always figure if you're on the no call list, it's not going to help when you are actually still getting scammed or it's a charity and, and working for charitable based organizations is sometimes hard because you really are legitimately calling from a, um, a point. So what I recommend if you don't know, if you are on the no call list, but you're still getting charity or it might be a scam again, same thing. Say, thanks very much. You know, I'm not going to answer this call right now, but I'm going to be calling your office directly to learn more. Again, take the control back, call the real number.
2: And many people have a little oopsies where they take a call they shouldn't and get on some sort of Albanian or Serbian call list. And uh, I know there is a function with most telephone companies where you can sign up where somebody has to press a number to get through and it's an alternating number. Uh, I'm not sure the mechanics of getting that set up, but I'm guessing, Laura, you might know a little bit about that
3: they're changing as fast as anything else does as well. You know, now these days, most people have cell phones and they don't have landlines. And so when it doesn't really apply to cell phones, and that's one of the big important things is so many of these things are actually based for landlines and, um, most people don't have landlines anymore. So, it's uh, the technology for cell phones is not the same at the moment yet as the technology for landlines. So it can be a bit difficult. One of the things that we do see, particularly with cell phones, but this can also be with a landline as well, is people who copy a number, and we've all done that. We've all perhaps missed a call, and you call them back and you say, "Oh, hey, I'm really sorry, it's Laura. I missed a call from this number. You don't know what it is, right?" And they're like, "I didn't call you." Oh, okay. But what they've done is it cloned the numbers, right? So it doesn't look like Bob from Sudbury from CRA. Although actually I did look it up. There are some CRA offices in (laughs) Sudbury. I just got curious. But um, in this case, I thought, oh, why would they be calling me from there? I mean, that seems like a A strange place. But again, with work from home right now, some of those numbers have all been quite different. They're not using the landline. People are working from wherever. So, again, that same thing, it may be that it looks like a friend or it looks like a company, but actually they've cloned that. And of course, is that illegal? Yes. Um, But is there technology available? Yes. Again, the same is the best thing to do. Hang up. Even if you're interested, even if you think like that is a thing you want, maybe you want to know about that offer, or maybe you want to know about uh, what the CRA wants, or you know, you thinking that you might actually give to that charity. Just say thanks very much for the information. You know, I'm not interested at this time, and then ask to be off their call number. They if it's a fake one, they'll push back on that and <laughs> think, like, well, we can't do that. Oh, no, yes, you can. And then call yourself, take the control yourself. That's really the big key.
0: Take the control of yourself.
1: Write that down, Heather.
0: I'm writing it down.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that people may not know is, it's related to this, but not exactly the same, is um, if you are being called by collection agencies, you can also have that stop there. And if you request that they, take, that they stop calling you, they have to stop calling you.
3: And
0: they call because- but-
1: no. And sometimes they don't, and, and they can be really rude and really harassing. And so, um, you know, if that's a situation you find yourself in, you can always go to a lawyer and they can send a demand letter. And that usually stops it pretty quick.
2: It Evan, do, you, do people call you for that kind of thing? Is that why you know about it? No,
1: but I know about it because, um, uh, I've done it before, but, um, like we had a client at my old firm and, uh, you know, I think they're, whatever. I can't remember all the details, but that was happening to them. It might have even been in the state file. I can't remember anyways. And um, the lawyer had to be pretty assertive. Like even there, I think there had to be more than one contact from the lawyer to make sure that it stopped threatening litigation, which is legitimate. Um, so, and I just brought it up because I was out with Sandra Landry last night. Some listeners might recognize uh, Sandra is in the two-timer club uh, for access to justice. And um, that's one thing that she mentioned, she gets a lot of clients in who are getting harassed so badly by collection agencies that they go to her to make it stop. And, and let uh, just, made you think of that, if you, you have some rights about who's able to get your number and use your number to call you. Of course, those types of things don't apply to scammers though. As Laura said, it's like, you know, it's like all the firearm laws in the world aren't going to stop, you know, criminals from owning guns. Same concept.
3: It is absolutely. The ones that we get, Evan, um, in terms of demand letters and things really often have to do with powers of attorney. And this is where I spent a lot of time talking and thinking about is because they go across the spectrum of very legitimate use of a proper legal document, which is a good and important thing to have, but talk about a sword and a shield all the way up to people who are trying to use power of attorney documents, again, called different things in different provinces, whether you're in, uh, you know, Halifax, you might call them a health care directive and a power of attorney for the financial one. In BC, you might call it a representation agreement for the healthcare piece. And uh, again, power of attorney, usually the power of attorney stuff is the same wherever you are. Of course, in Ontario, you'll have a power of attorney for personal care and a power of attorney for property. But this is where we get people who try to do things either very legitimately but they're doing it wrong so they think that just because they have that document or just because they have been appointed it now all of a sudden unlocks the cash stores of mom and dad when they're not that's not their role in fact it's quite the contrary they're supposed to be a fiduciary the highest level of obligation and uh, and care Or alternatively, they are actually scamming you and getting you to sign a power of attorney document. And so in things like romance scams or other types of new best friend scams, um, you have people who come into your life and then they start being helpful. And then they start inserting themselves and with home care shortages being such a difficult thing and people worrying that mom and dad are living alone and maybe they're going to fall and and they can't get enough home care and so on. Having a new best friend move in can absolutely be an important and good thing to happen if it was legitimate. But of course it is a, a predatory aspect. And then what happens is they push space between family and friends that Co- pre-existed and the older person, whether that means that when you phone, they're always sleeping or when you come to the door, they can't come to the door because they're uh, you know, at an appointment or whatever it is, but that space between there. And then they get the older person to create a new power of attorney document. And of course, in some provinces that requires a lawyer, in some provinces it doesn't require a lawyer it's easier to scam them. If uh, they don't require a lawyer, I would say more than, but many lawyers don't pay too much attention to powers of attorney document quite wrongly. But uh, if they do it and they take instructions and they don't have information about what's going on, they may be quite, you know, quite innocently doing a very simple legal thing or they've downloaded. Don't, it
1: don't justify <laughs> that. That would be negligent and they would be making, they should be getting ready to make a claim on their insurance.
3: <laughs> I am also a lawyer and, uh, you know, have been one for a really long time and I have to tell you, yes, you're absolutely right. But did you ever learn in law school about a power of attorney? I don't know anyone who really has, unless they happen to take a <laughs> state's class. It, it's one of those things that is an incredibly important legal document. And in some cases I would offer perhaps more powerful and important than a will because it's taking care of the person while they're alive. I always figure, well, if you mess up the will, they're dead, and that person at least is, it's very unfortunate, but it's not their right. at risk if you yeah. mess the power of attorney documents. It actually harms the human being while they're still alive, and if they're incapable of making those choices, or or they have influence under absolutely. But people often who don't focus on this area of law treat them as kind of you know like almost giveaways or lost leaders and so on at their peril. Because I think what we're seeing above all is that. power of attorney documents is now the new will challenges. We don't wait anymore for the person to die before we go after the money. They're used very specifically by either, you know, malfeasant family and friends, either they're doing it because, you know, they don't understand or they're doing it to get them or alternatively by scam artists who very specifically target older people and get them to do the documents. And then, then they're away in many cases and then it becomes a, a very complicated
1: situation after that. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I didn't know that people offer them that way. That was, I, I, I agree with you. That's, um, that is at their peril. Cause I mean, I, I do estate planning, but I did take estates at law school and I did that because I knew I was articling at a firm, um, where I was going to be practicing that. And one of the first areas that I was confident of practicing because it's it's not that complicated, but I was trained on it by someone who had been practicing it for years. Was estate planning. And of course, when we say that as lawyers in Alberta, we're really just talking about, we're not talking about this kind of estate planning that Kim does. We're talking specifically about the legal documents that you just described and the will. Um, and yeah, it, like Heather doesn't use powers of attorney as a loss leader, that's for sure. And and, no, uh, I
0: don't. I'm not a dabbler. I don't. <laughs> I
1: don't.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important because
3: you know, in Alberta, of course, we have new legislation now around co decision making and assisted decision making legislation, which I think lots of people may not be as familiar with if they're not focusing in this area of law. But the dabbler piece is real. Now, I'm not saying this is true for you know all lawyers or most lawyers, but you know, many people will live, for instance, in a rural area. You don't have to go too far outside. Uh-huh a couple of city centers and the lawyers have to do everything, right? We don't have the advantage of maybe having Calgary, Alberta lawyers who can specialize. If you're in the North and you find a lawyer, you're lucky to find a lawyer and they're probably doing a little bit of everything as well. Now they may be expert in that, or they may not be, but we have seen, you know, I can't tell you the number of charity gifts I've seen where lawyers will donate the making of a will and you know powers of attorney type of documents as things. I think my father used to donate that. He's a lawyer as well. And because it's a thing that everybody does need and it's really important important. But when you're giving the gift of legal advice, that really helps. These days, though, uh, running through those what-ifs are important. And it's not as much just going through all the family and friends what-ifs. But we also need to think again, what if something goes wrong? And the something going wrong would be a fraud artist or a scam artist, a new best friend, something like that, who takes you into a bank and gets them to do a banking power of attorney, which before I die, I'm going to get people to stop doing because it destroys any estate plan that you've usually had. So you'll have a teller who has no legal training or often not a lot of advanced financial training either for that matter, offering up to, oh, you can just fill in this form and you know it'll cover off everything at this financial institution what you'll realize is it revokes the previous power of attorney to the degree that they're different at best it makes a disastrous mess at worst it's completely undone whatever good estate planning was already done and that's done as a blithe idea of customer service and of course what they've done is they've facilitated the exploitation of the older person
1: how ironic, because banks are the most annoying organizations when it comes to recognizing and accepting legitimate legal documents related to, finan- uh, to estate planning. They're the worst. Um, and meanwhile, they'll just make up their own on the spot and they're cool with that. That is so ridiculous.
3: It's really, it's really important that, you know, the financial institutions take this seriously. Now, a few years ago, we worked really hard with the the Canadian bankers association and the government to help create what I call the not very voluntary banking code for seniors. I say it's not very voluntary because even though it's called a voluntary code, there has to be a seniors champion at each financial institution. They report to the CEO of the bank and the, bank CEO has to report to the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. And one of the things they now have to do is create competencies and do training in this. And before that, they never had to. And so it's starting to roll out. It's starting to get better. There is competency-based training just beginning. Is this about 30 years too late? Yes. But financial institutions where I think were very concerned with being themselves considered fiduciaries and uh, wanted to make sure that they were just in a commercial relationship. And now what we're seeing is... You know, the scales have tilted, you can't just turn a blind eye. To the justice anymore. Speaking of access to justice, you can't just pretend that you're just in a pure commercial relationship, that we do need training associated with uh, marginalized people, older people, people with mental capacity issues in order to make sure that you're not facilitating exploitation. I would also like them to be able to understand that a power of attorney document not created on Ontario is something that, you know, Bay Street in Ontario will recognize. What we see, of course, is that many people who live in other jurisdictions and i'm talking to you from nova scotia right today um when they say we have to send it to legal what they're really doing is they're sending it to bay street in ontario to look at and they may not be as familiar with advanced planning documents and other jurisdictions and that Mm. that can make you pull your hair out it will all usually get sorted in the end but uh, i'm always worried when you go into a bank with a valid power of attorney and they don't look at it as much as i'm worried when they take three days to look at it there needs to be something in between
1: Yeah, there, there really does. It's uh, because I I tell people this as well. If they're worried about, you know, their power attorney being misused, uh, I explain to them like, okay, so first of all, that's against the law in order for your attorney to do anything that is not in your best interest. It's written right in the power of attorney more as a reminder, not because it changes anything. Um, so I explained that, but that's cold comfort if they've emptied your bank account. And so yes, they potentially the fraudster can be prosecuted, but it's, you know, so also make sure you're choosing somebody that you trust. <laughs> And you know that can be difficult. That can be difficult um, when you're in your when you're in a situation in, um, when you're in your senior years. Um, the number of people that you can appoint it just it's it becomes limited. And because if you're older, chances are a lot of friends have died, and you're kind of left with family. And ideally, you want to choose someone that's at least a, quite a bit younger than you so that it's not likely they're going to predecease you and and there can be a lot of unknowns there. Um, and anyways, it's...
3: No, it's absolutely true. I'm actually a huge fan of people really sitting down and thinking about whether or not they want to appoint a trust company. And we've kind of forgotten to do that these days. As the trust companies got gobbled up by the big financial institutions, they kind of disappeared a little bit out of our purview, but now they're they're back. And I certainly see that during the boomers years in their planning, they're really surprised that they don't have an easier option to have somebody with specialist knowledge make decisions for them. And then I say, actually you do, but only for financial, not for personal issues. I think the personal uh, finan- personal care issues are something we're going to have to think about in the near future. In the US, for instance, you could hire a trained professional to make your personal healthcare decisions as well. Um, mm-hmm. As you're saying, lots of family and friend either are not the right people to do it or alternatively, you don't want to burden them with having to do it. Or alternatively, you want people who are really expert in doing it. But what people don't realize is that if you appoint a trust company to be your decision maker, I, they can't charge any more than than you would have you know your best friend or your family member your near-do-well nephew who's moved into your basement and you the good news is you never have to worry about the trust company whether it be one of the big six or one of the smaller trust companies um in dying or moving away or becoming incapable or, or stealing your money they're not going to
0: so it's a good option for people to think through yeah and um I, I guess for listeners that are interested in a little more information we had uh uh Damien McGrath on a previous episode who talked about trusts and um and what his role could be or the trust company's role um in those kind of situations so that's um yeah that's something we talked about before I don't know that listeners of course if you're only listening you didn't see my eyes get huge when Laura you mentioned the bank power of attorney I didn't realize that that was a thing and that's a bit shocking so terrifying what if you're a loved one with uh, someone in your family that you might be concerned about. Is there anything that you can do or watch for that are signs or protective actions that you can take, um, or or talk to your, you know, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, whoever about, um, to make sure that they're not being taken advantage of, or ways to have those conversations. It's tough because you don't want to take away some of the autonomy, but you also want to make sure that they don't get taken advantage of, right? That that
3: is, of course, the balance there. What I think is really helpful, and many of us will just come off holidays with family members where you may be kind of more recently in touch with seeing folks that you may not have seen in a little while, is bringing up the conversation, not about them. So bringing it up about yourself. So we all started talking about examples that we have of being you know, defrauded or clicking on a link or something like that one of the things that family members often get defensive about quite rightly is when you show up and like, what do you know in your mind there, you're still the 16 year old kid who can't pick up their socks. Um, and they have a lifetime of experience. So, you know, listening to you going on about how they should live their life, may be a little bit much for them,
0: but saying, Are you, you know, at my Christmas dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> and, parents too. And, um,
3: you know, and, and expressing to them that you're thinking about your powers of attorney and you're thinking about your will or you're thinking about whatever it is that you're talking about and uh and opening up the conversation about things that you've been thinking about now you are thinking about it now you may be thinking about it more because you're worried about them but never mind you are still thinking about it and you should be thinking about it as well because everyone over the age of majority should have these documents So don't come into it with, you know, hey, mom, dad, you're getting older and I'm I'm really worried that you're losing your mind or that you've got dementia or you're making bad decisions. But alternatively, come in and say, you know, my partner and I were sitting around thinking and we're, you know, wondering and, you know, what would you do and, and what are your thoughts and so on and so forth and open it up as a conversation. So that's tip number one, open it up as a conversation, share what you're doing and ask them some advice and then that opens it up so they can ask you advice too. The second thing is have a time of year to do it. And and I think scheduling it is really important. So in the same way that financial professionals have to talk about KYC, the know your client, or you have to check in and see how things are and things have changed and so on and so forth. um, I always figure there's two things that are inevitable death and taxes, you know, so end of March, April is a good time to be thinking about this as well, because it's all part of the same idea of your financial and, and, frankly physical well-being so add this in annually as a review point and for financial and legal professionals out there you know, add this to your roster even do a little check-in a 15 minute check-in with your clients um and around that time with enough time to make any adjustments if you want, but turning your mind to it, I think at that point is really uh, helpful as a, an estate wellness checkup. And that also is helps you with things like frauds and scams and so on, because if they have a new best friend or there's a new person that they want to do crazy investments with that, only speaks their language or any of these red flags, then at least you have that information that you might not otherwise have. So schedule a time, death and taxes, do it in the spring. And the third piece of advice I have is remember that doesn't matter how old you are, you have the presumption of mental capacity. So, don't go in assuming that you're incapable just because you're a certain age. And, and family often wants to do that. But rather think about ways that technology can help. So many people won't realize you can do fingertip technology, you know, on your computers, or you can do bioscans. Make sure that people feel comfortable understanding the fact that you can have two-factor identification, or you can go to somewhere like the Glue Society to learn more. And so to take that proactive charge by learning some different technological advances including perhaps limits on accounts or two signatures for really big accounts. Um, And then my extra piece of uh, those are three tips, but here's my one. Don't take a power of attorney document from a bank, from a teller. And the other one is for the love of all that's holy, please, you know, do feel free to sit down with your legal and financial professional and do a really deep dive into your life that, you know, good legal and financial professionals will take the time with you to talk through who your relationships are and what they like. So go through a series of what ifs. Many of us don't ever think about when things could go wrong and yet um, I often tell the story of when there was a family reunion, there was 27 people all in the same boating accident, and they'd all just appointed each other as uh, financial advisors the powers of attorney and joint account holders, and they were all in a disaster. So try to make sure that you have somebody who wouldn't travel with you, um, and that could be a trust account if you're, if you're thinking about having that for your option. You don't have to have a family member or friend for your finances. You can do a trust account.
1: Right.
2: I think it's also important people may not know that Uh, The good financial advisors or investment advisors out there want the kids involved. So some uh, adult children might not know that they can meet the financial advisor as a group and start to build a relationship there. Vice versa, parents might not know that they can bring their kids into those decisions just to be a part of the meeting. Um, And I think that's a really important piece as people get older uh, to have kids involved in, especially when there's uh, money involved. And that's really important for good relationships
3: and really important for good ones. You have to be a little bit careful, though, because you do need to figure out who your client is. And so do some planning around that in advance. If you're going to have a joint family, make sure that people realize that the family members are also your most likely people to take advantage of you. Two-thirds of all abuse and neglect. Uh, happen from family members and those closest. So the same person that you're most likely to choose to be a power of attorney person is also your person who's most likely to to violate your trust. I know it sounds terrible, but there you go, it's true. So do a pre-planning meeting with your financial or legal professional about what you'll disclose and what won't you disclose. You'll talk very carefully about what information they wanna have and what information you don't wanna have your kids uh, see. And sit down and really think it through about what you're trying to achieve at those as opposed to just kind of inviting people in. So Kim, your idea is a great idea. I really appreciate that. And that important planning around it is, is going to be key where I see financial professionals get in trouble with lawyers is when they forget that know your client piece and they forget the, who is your client piece too. And they start disclosing information amongst the family. Um, many of whom are, as I will call professional waiters, they're waiting for their inheritance. And, uh, in some cases, we yeah, we're,
2: we're highly trained in that area. Well, I mean, at the big firms, we're highly trained uh, to make sure that we aren't sharing any any information that's that shouldn't be shared. But uh, it does help us sniff out, because sometimes elderly people will want their kids uh, in joint accounts. And that's something we are really scared about doing. Um, uh, and and big conversations need to be had. And I just, I can't understand how that can happen at an investment firm without uh, like even meeting the kids. um to sniff out uh bad eggs whether i mean that can be done or i mean everybody can be duped but there's so many things and steps you can take to help your own clients avoid getting taken advantage of and and i think i think that's really important for kids if if parents trust their kids for them to be involved in in at least some conversations
3: Mm. absolutely and i think one of the other pieces just building on that is for people to understand uh, what the role is, uh, particularly in being either an attorney or an executor. I frankly can't imagine anyone who really wants to take over that role. And so we we often treat it as, you know, just something easy that gets done. In some cases, to be a, an executor could take, you know, three, four years off of your life and it could be almost a part-time job. Now I'm not saying every case, but some of them are. And to be an attorney, particularly a healthcare or a financial attorney, to be a substitute decision-maker, you could have somebody who's in a car accident in their 20s, and you could be a decision-making um, entity for them for 40 years, right? So we often think about life plans as this very march on and Evan, You were talking about not appointing older people and younger people. and quite right. That's absolutely what we say. But, you know, catastrophes can happen at any age. So part of what I think financial and legal professionals can help is going through those what ifs and what ifs with the kids as well. And that means, you know, that you need entirely separate accounts that you have to run. You can't mingle any money. You need to keep receipts for absolutely everything. You have to learn trust accounting, which is double types of accounting. You have to be able to show your accounts to the court um, or the public guardian trustee or in Alberta, the public guardian plus the public trustee, uh, depending on the circumstances and so forth. And if you hear the job description and what little remuneration you can get—I'm like amazed anyone does it. It's—it's uh, it's a giant pain, and it has real implications for people's lives. So I I often ask people, you know, when you're thinking through, not just, you know, who do you trust, but who's the type of person that's good with those types of things. So I may love my kids very much. And the gift I may give them is not making them my financial power of attorney, because it's, they're going to be terrible at it. Maybe they don't have a good job even running their own money, but maybe I have a very dear friend who's a bookkeeper and they feel very comfortable doing that or alternatively for healthcare issues. I may not want to put my loved one or even my spouse as my decision maker, because I I may want them to be able to grieve or be in an emotional state. I may want somebody who is more comfortable making those decisions, who isn't going to feel that level of guilt and overwhelmingness. Um, So talking them through those types of what if situations, I think are really helpful and can really Mm -hmm. relieve people out of what, Many of us will think, oh, I'll just make the adult kids do it. And you think, oh, did you even meet me? Like, you know, I, I was terrible. job, Or I live in Taiwan, you know, where I live in Poland. Like how, how is that going to be Or I travel with work? So some practical conversations with your legal and financial professionals are the best thing you can do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Get that whole picture of what's going on and, and explore all the options.
2: Laura, you mentioned something a while ago. You're you're a lawyer and, and there's there's the link with can age and you're interested in seniors. How did this all come to be?
3: I got called to the bar in 1999 um, and I was always interested in working with vulnerable populations. That was always a a piece that I had dealt with. I'd worked with, um, with women in crisis and also children in crisis and did a lot of the, some of the big school cases and also represented health authorities. So it became quite natural that I was interested in this issue. And when we were looking at kind of what is the next horizon for social justice it became very clear that we had very little on supporting our older populations and so I got into the issues uh, with elder law I guess more than 20 years ago something like that um I don't do private practice anywhere well I do do it I do it on a pro bono basis um but no I don't need your cases (laughs) (laughs) But I am the CEO of Canada's National Seniors Advocacy Organization, so my work is really more in public policy and advocacy space, and I teach at the University of Toronto as well.
0: It's incredible, and it sounds like you've made some really substantive changes and gotten some protections in place for for seniors. That's incredible
3: really happy to see that um, the financial sector is starting to take us really seriously. I, I previously served uh, as a director on the Ombudsman for Banking Services and Investments, which is a dispute resolution body for the financial sector. And after that, I worked as uh, well, worked I. I served as a board member for IROC, which is the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. And now I'm really honored to be serving on what we're still calling the new SRO. And hopefully when people will have seen this, we'll actually have a name for it. But it's the merged, if you will, organization that oversees the financial sector from the Mutual Fund Dealers Association and IROC together. So what's really been inspiring to me is really since about 2017, the investment sector has started taking this really seriously. And I would even point out the leadership as well in Alberta and um, and in you know, New Brunswick and in Quebec, who've all taken this, I think, especially seriously. So it's good to see that because people need resources and whether it be public facing resources or support for advisors and lawyers, you know, these are the issues of the day. Unless you're dealing with children, you're dealing with older people, whether that's in medicine or
0: in law or in finance. Right. Right. I imagine there's like trickle up, down. I don't know which way it trickles, but um when governments become more aware of that as well, then maybe there's more resources and consideration to help police forces then investigate these types of crimes and treat them more seriously. Like one of the heartstrings when you said that, like, no one cares about grandma's vacuum like that. that is heartbreaking and so tragic to me. Right. Um, but it's not just always vacuums that get ignored. There can be larger things that are going on that, that don't get probably taken as seriously as they could or should be. Um, because there are other things going on. Someone stabbed in in the street or whatever the case may be.
3: Yeah, it is. It really is a protect yourself point, which is why conversations like this are really helpful.
1: So, IROC, that's one of our favorite organizations. <laughs> Kim's chuckling because we have to clear all, every one of the transcripts from from these. You have to clear it through. Uh, it's IROC, right, that we have to do that with Kim? Through,
2: through compliance, which basically uh, gets their marching orders from our regulatory organization. I don't think
3: it's IROC. That's going to require your compliance. It's going to be your internal compliance. people. that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I I do think it's important to say, as I always do, that I'm just speaking on my behalf and, and behalf of CanH. I never try to wear any other hat that I'm wearing. So there's
1: yeah, my. We, and we have disclaimers for Kim as well. She gets all the disclaimers. Heather <laughs> and I have like a little brief one.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be high maintenance, but <laughs> we're going to have Harold Geller on to talk about um, the mistakes that financial advisors are making and how people can arm themselves with good information so they don't get taken advantage of. Like, we really are serious on this program to giving people access to justice, good information, making sure that they aren't taken advantage of. And uh, today was just so fascinating. It feeds into so many of our conversations we've had on on this podcast. And so many seniors are looking for this information because they don't want to get taken advantage of. Laura, you're just a wealth of information. It's amazing. Well, yeah. I'm
3: glad you're doing our
0: guest. Thank you for doing it. And thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for being our guest. I've, I've learned a ton and I have about a million more questions, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure to meet you.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's such an important topic. And, and I think what you said, what you described really touches on why it's so important to shine a light on this because... Um, you know, people will self-isolate because of shame and fear of losing autonomy. And, you know, we're all going to be old one day if we're lucky. And, you know, so I just think of like, well, how would I want to be treated? And of course I could fall prey to a scammer. Um, And as you get older, like, yeah, you're not as sharp as you once were, but that doesn't mean that you've lost your faculties. And so um, I hope that this just, Gives people some compassion and and as well, awareness of of signs of things to look for. And um, hopefully we can keep, even if we just keep one grandma or grandpa from getting uh, ruined by a fraudster, then it will have been a successful episode, I think. Mm-hmm. It's
3: a great way to look at it. Now I hear you get to be a bit two-timer, so I'm happy to come <laughs> back and chat
0: about with something else that you want. Oh, we'd okay. love that. I've yeah, I've got some. I've got three or four ideas,
2: I think, probably.
1: Yeah, it's an elite group for sure, but um, <laughs> I think you have the potential to be a member.
2: <laughs> five, five, five times club, kind of thing. Yeah, I guess we'll have to come up with some green jackets or something like that yeah. for our returning. Well,
1: that's the, the five timer club, Kim.
2: Five timer club. Oh dear. All right. Well. This is wonderful. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for having me. Thanks
0: so much for being our guest. Take care.
1: Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up to date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Malarick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or missions in the content or for any loss or damage of any kind occurred as a result of any content communicated in this video whether by evan clark heather malarick or by a third party kim mcdonald is a financial advisor with raymond james limited information provided is not a solicitation and although obtained from sources considered reliable is not guaranteed the view and opinions contained in this media are those of kim mcdonald not raymond james limited Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James Advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFP, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFP. Darkness of the Dales dissipates, decline because of he who turned water